Father, we thank you so much for this incredible day. And Lord, I thank you for every person here. It is not an accident. For those of us worshiping with with us online, thank you. And Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is living, it is active, it is sharper than any double-edged sword. It is our light and our lamp to our feet. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you be our teacher, that you speak through me, that the words I say would be your words. And Father, that you would bring encouragement and comfort and strength, conviction. More than anything, Jesus, that you would burn in our hearts with your presence and with your love, with the fire of your word. And that we would glorify you in everything that we say and do. So that when people see us, they see you, Jesus, and they see our love for our Heavenly Father, and that they would know that we are your disciples. Jesus, you are our good and great shepherd. And we ask all these things in your precious name, Jesus. Amen and amen. A quick review just for all of us to remember, because I know there's a lot in our hearts and our minds with Christmas right around the corner. We're going through the Advent today, like we prayed at the very beginning, is the fourth Sunday of Advent. And our Advent series is Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. It's an old Christmas Advent song. The first Sunday of Advent, we looked at longing for meaning. The second Sunday was longing for control. Last week, I preached a very brief sermon on the life of Joseph. It was longing for relationship. Today, today's sermon is longing for a hero. And I told Christy, my wife, yesterday, I said, I'm kind of embarrassed about this title. And I helped form this title because as pastors, last year in 2021, as pastors, we gathered together in May for a three-day retreat to pray and talk about sermons for the following year. And we came up with this title. And she's like, it's a great title. Because how many of us, even today, long for someone to step into our lives, to step into our city, to step into our country and bring healing and fix everything that's going on? Longing for a hero. That is today's title. We're going to look at Luke chapter 24. But before we do that, I have a question. Think of your favorite movie or your favorite book. Think of the hero or the protagonist in that movie. What makes them a good, faithful hero? Why? They have character, courage, the sacrifices they make. They're noble. They're true. They're just. They defend and they fight for those who are beaten down, for the downtrodden, the broken, the rejected, for the defenseless. And usually these heroes in these movies, they have this almost this insurmountable task that they have to do, that they have to accomplish, or some enemy that they have to defeat. And you guys have seen the movies. They get to the point where they're almost not going to make it. And then they open up that can of spinach and they eat it like Popeye and they come through, right? Longing for a hero. Think back in your childhood. Maybe you are a child. Who is your hero as a child and why? I've got this amazing picture I'm going to show you guys. I'm going to tell you about my hero who is Roy Rogers. When I was four years old, this is me at age four. For those who don't know who Roy Rogers was, he was a famous actor, a cowboy in hundreds of movies. 
Those of Toy Story, Woody and Buzz Lightyear, they couldn't even hold a candle to Roy Rogers. I'm ready to go. I got my two pistols, my hat, my bandana, my sheriff's bag. I got a knife in my boots. My mom would get mad at me because I would wear my boots to bed because I was ready to go. And I'll have to admit, we were not PC. There were Indians I had to kill and bad guys I had to arrest. And the ironic thing, my wife is Cherokee. But I've got a story to share with you. When I was four, my mom had become a Christian. And she went to this Bible study at Chapel Hill Bible Church in North Carolina, Chapel Hill. She dropped my brother, my older brother, Mike, off and me at the child care. And back then there were no computers. You just dropped your kids off. You might have signed a little thing. They put a sticker of the kid's name on the back of your shirt. And off she went. My mom went to women's Bible study, came back about an hour and a half later. And she's like, I'm here to pick up Mike and Doug. And the teachers were like, uh, you might be at the wrong room. There is no Mike and Doug here. Oh, no, yes, there is. I dropped my two sons off. They're six and four named Mike and Doug. And my mom was getting really nervous. And then she said she saw one of us run by. She goes, there goes one right now. And the teacher said, oh, do you mean Roy and Pat? Because my older brother, when we got in there, they're like, what are your names? My older brother said, well, I'm Roy, and this is my little brother, Pat Brady. And Pat Brady was the sidekick of Roy Rogers in all those movies. Roy Rogers was my hero. I can still remember when that picture was taken. We long for a hero. We long for someone to step into our lives and fix everything. And we long for that hero many times to do it our way. Here in Luke chapter 24, open your Bibles. Luke chapter 24. Right here, here's the story. Daniel, thanks so much for reading it. A little bit of context. It's at the end of the Gospel of Luke. You guys can probably imagine. The context is Jesus has already died. He was buried. He had thousands of followers for a time during his ministry. And then obviously many ran off because Jesus' teachings were too hard. And yet he had those 12 apostles and he had other disciples, men and women. And some of those women were far faithful than those apostles and they loved Jesus dearly. And yet one of those 12, and you guys know the story, story, Judas betrayed Jesus. Jesus was arrested. He was beaten. He was put on trial. He was beaten some more. He was spit upon. He was whipped and flogged and then crucified. He was buried, and because the Jewish day starts at sundown, Jesus was buried on a Friday, the last few hours of Friday, day one. Then the Sabbath, which started Friday night for us, all day Saturday morning, that's day two, that's Sabbath. And so good Jewish people, they would not work. And because Jesus was taken off that cross early and put in that tomb, they could not prep his body enough and properly enough. And so the women waited and they sealed the tomb because the chief priests, they convinced Pilate that this man, Jesus, promised that he would rise from the dead. Now, Jesus' enemies, they understood it and they believed it, but Jesus' own followers did not. Ironic, huh? Sunday morning early, the women go back to the tomb wondering what's going to happen. And we know the story, and we're going to dive into it here in a minute. But later on that afternoon, there's two disciples. 
here on the road to Emmaus. And if you want to read the whole story, it starts in verse 13. This is one of my best, most favorite stories in all of Scripture. That's bad English. It's it's Forrest Gump English. But I love this story here of Luke 24. You have two disciples, and we know one of their names is Cleopas. Was it two men? Was it a husband and wife? We do not know. But these two disciples, at the end of Jesus' life on earth, when he ascended to heaven, there were about 120 Christians that loved him. And even though some of them doubted, they loved Jesus and they were committed to Jesus. These two right here are two of those disciples. But we're going to look and see right here that the hope and the longing they had that Jesus was their hero were smashed and dashed to pieces. Right here in verse 19, as they're walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, Emmaus was a small, tiny little town about six miles from Jerusalem. So it's several hour walk. And as these two disciples are walking along, they're discussing everything that's gone on that day, the past couple days. And they had already heard about the women going to the tomb and the stone had been rolled away and they didn't have a body. There was no body there and these angels showed up. So these two disciples are talking about it and then Jesus comes up with them. And it says that they're they're not permitted to recognize him. They don't recognize that it's Jesus. We don't know why. The scripture does not tell us why they didn't recognize him. Was it because they were so full of grief and disappointment and sadness, and now even confusion with all that was going on. Why didn't they recognize Jesus? We don't know. But they don't recognize him. And Jesus, I love this about Jesus. He's playing with them. And that might seem cruel, but it's not because Jesus is the good shepherd. And he he knows these two dear disciples and he loves them deeply. And he's ministering to their hearts. And so as they're talking, he's like, hey guys, what are y'all talking about? And one of them stops and is like, are you the only one here in all of Jerusalem that doesn't know what's going on? Are you crazy? You have no idea what's going on? And he's like, what things? And right here in verse 19, after he says, what things? So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet, powerful in action and speech before God and all the people And how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death. And they crucified him. And here's the, as we say in Spanish, here's the clave. Here's the key. Whereas longing for a hero. But we were hoping that he was the one. We were hoping that he was the one that was about to redeem Israel. Can you hear the sadness in their voice? We were hoping that he was the one who would redeem his people Israel. Now, there's a lot you can read into that sentence. These disciples still thought that the Messiah would be like King David, a warrior king who would come in and crush Rome and set Israel back up as the ruling country of the day. Because you see, at one time when King David and King Solomon Thousands of years, a thousand years before Jesus came onto the scene. Israel, though it was a tiny, small little country, was one of the most powerful countries on the planet at the time. Because it connected, when you look on a map, Israel, the size of New Jersey. It connects Europe to Asia to Africa. 
And when King David and King Solomon ruled that little country, they were the gatekeepers to everything. And that is what most of the Jewish people long for, for the Messiah, someone a descendant from David would return as a warrior. So even these two disciples, even though they had traveled with Jesus for three and a half years, they had heard all his teachings. They still were a little bit confused. And when Jesus is like, what things? Look at their description there in verse 20 and 21 and 22. It's a pretty good description, but it's still not complete. How do they describe Jesus? Jesus of Nazareth. Well, that's true. But do you remember when Nathaniel, one of the 12, said, Nazareth, can anything good come from Nazareth? I grew up in Jackson, Tennessee, and I'll, be, I'll admit to you guys, growing up and even to this day, Nashville people are snots. Because when I say I'm from Jackson, guess what the response is from people from Nashville? Jackson. We had come up here and play teams and sports. Oh, man, we're going to Nashville because we thought everybody here was hoity-toity. And you are. Nazareth? Really? But Jesus from Nazareth. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Yeah, the king of the universe is from Nazareth. And they said he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed. They're referring to Jesus' miracles and his teaching. And if you remember almost two years ago, we preached on the gospel of Mark. And it says that the people were amazed at the authority Jesus had because Jesus spoke with power and with authority, not like the rabbis. And he healed people and he set people free and he cast demons out with authority and power. So that's true. Jesus was a prophet. Jesus was from Nazareth. He was powerful in word and deed. They also say too, but our chief priests and chief leaders, they handed him over to be crucified. That's true. What's lacking in their description? He is Messiah. He's God's son. He's the holy one that Isaiah talks about all the time. They're missing the whole point. And then they say, but we were hoping, we were hoping that he would be the one to redeem Israel. And then they go on, and if you follow here in verse 22, and here's where it gets even harder and harder and more confusing. Look at this. And guys, we have to really try to imagine ourselves going back to living in that time. I mean, most of us, we've read the scriptures. We know about Jesus. We know that he rose from the dead. We believe it. But you got to remember, these two disciples, they were clueless. I find it quite ironic that Jesus' enemies, they believed his words that he would rise from the dead. But his followers, they weren't expecting it. And right here in verse 22, they say, and moreover, some women from our group astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb, and when they didn't find his body, they came and they reported that they had seen visions of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us, they went to the tomb, and they found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see him. So this is that Sunday afternoon, Resurrection Sunday. 
It's why we call Easter Sunday resurrection. That's why we celebrate and gather together on Sundays. Every Sunday is a mini resurrection day. It's why we gather on Sunday to commemorate Jesus rose from the dead. But you got to remember that rising from the dead was not an it thing for these early disciples. Jesus stinketh according to them. And they talk about, yeah, these women, and we have to remember too, women's word were not valid in the court of law in first century. And for the fact that the women were the first witnesses of the resurrection is one of the greatest proofs of the validity of God's word. Because if this was a made-up story, they wouldn't have made women to be the first witnesses of Jesus rising from the dead. But for the fact that it was true and it is what it is, and they say it several times here, some of the women, and to be honest, the most faithful of the disciples, they went to the tomb to finish the preparations. And they came back freaked out because the tomb was empty and they had seen angels and the angels were saying, he's not here, but he's risen and he's alive. And some of us from our group, that's Peter and John, because if you look at it in the gospel, John, it says that Peter took off to run to the tomb. And then it says, John and John is so humble because in one of the verses in John, it says, yeah, but I outran Peter to the tomb. John got there first, looking down in there. Peter gets there, shows up. They don't find Jesus' body either. And then they come back and they tell the disciples, it's true. He's not there. And then these two disciples, why are they going to Emmaus? We don't know. Was that their hometown? Were they scared that the Jews were going to get them too? Were they afraid that the Jews were going to come or even the Romans were going to come and get these Christians? What have you done with the body? Who's going to believe that he rose from the dead? And here is they're relating all of this to Jesus and they still don't recognize this is Jesus. You can hear it in their voice. We had hoped. And some of the women in our group, they said he's alive. But Peter and John, they didn't see him. They're so distraught. They're in utter grief and despair. They're confused, maybe expectant, maybe, but utterly, utterly overwhelmed. And then Jesus is going to drop the boot. What does he say right here in verse 25? How foolish and slow you are to believe. How foolish and slow you are to believe. You know, sometimes we need to speak the truth and we need to speak the truth in love. And sometimes the truth hurts. And I admit, I I hate offending people. And sometimes I'll beat around the bush and I won't be as direct or as honest as I need to be because I'm afraid I'm going to offend somebody. And Jesus, man, he's laying it out. You guys are fools. You're foolish. And you're slow to heart to believe. Ouch. According to these two disciples, This man doesn't know who we are. Who's he to call us foolish? How does he know we don't believe? Think about it. But scripture says, speak the truth in love. It says the rebuke of a friend. Oh, in the Proverbs, and I can't remember the proverb now, but we need to learn how to speak the truth in love and be honest and direct, humble. 
There's one way of saying it being offensive, and there's another way to say it full of love and grace, and you still get the message across. And it's still like a surgeon cutting like a knife, but it goes to the heart. And Jesus is speaking truth. Man, he's dropping the boot down, and another boot's getting ready to come down. But he drops, he says, how foolish you are. You're so slow at heart. And you got to remember, Jesus knows these two disciples. They've been with him for a couple of years. He knows them better than they know the palm of their hand. He knows exactly what's going on in their lives. And he is speaking truth. And they still don't recognize that it's Jesus. But he's like, you guys are foolish and you don't believe. Why? And then look what it says here. He says this, and I love this about Jesus, because many times Jesus will make a point by asking a question. He says, wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Jesus said for years, from the time he started, he told his disciples day in and day out, I'm going to be handed over and I'll be beaten. I'm going to be betrayed and I'm going to be crucified and I'll be killed. Jesus said that all the time to his disciples. And then he said, the third day I'll rise again from the dead. And it even says in the gospels that many times the disciples would argue and they'd discuss, what does he mean about dying and rising from the dead? They just didn't get it. They didn't understand Was it hardness of heart? Was it their own sin, their own pride? Or had they created the Messiah in their own image instead of what Jesus the Messiah really was? Was it their false expectations that Jesus was going to be a warrior king, the Messiah like David? And they didn't understand that he came as a humble servant, born in a manger as we've sung today. And then it says right here, Verse 27, then beginning with Moses, that's Genesis through Deuteronomy. Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets. And see, I love this because in the Old Testament, there are over 300 prophecies about the Messiah in the Old Testament. Think about it, over 300. We're going to look at three of them today right now. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the day that Adam and Eve sinned, the day that he sinned and God is walking the garden and he calls them out. And then, of course, Adam blames Eve and Eve blames the servant, the serpent, sorry. Ooh, that's classic. We love to blame others for our own disobedience, don't we? Whoo, I do. And then God is rebuking both Adam and Eve, and then he calls out and he rebukes Satan. And look at what he says here in verse 15. If you want to open your Bible, it's going to be on the screen. But God is talking to Satan. He says, I'll put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And here's the first prophecy of the Messiah found in Scripture. He will strike your head. That's stamping him out. And you will strike his heel. That's his crucifixion right there. So from the beginning, that's one prophecy. And Jesus crushed Satan when he is crucified on the cross when he rose from the dead. Another prophecy is found in Isaiah. And Isaiah, and again, we're only looking at three of the 300, but Isaiah 7, 14, and you guys are going to know this passage. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. You see, the virgin will conceive and have a son and name him what? Emmanuel, God with us. That was written 700 years before Jesus was born by a virgin. And then in Micah, 
And Mike, I believe it's chapter 5, Bethlehem Ephrathah. See, Bethlehem is David's hometown. And one of the prophecies about the Messiah is that he would have to come from Bethlehem, from the line of David. You are small among the clans of Judah. And oh, Bethlehem was just a tiny little hick town, a nothing town. One will come from you to be ruler over Israel. His origins are from antiquity. From ancient times, you see, Jesus always has been and he always will be. These are just three of the 300 prophecies of the Old Testament that Jesus fulfills. You see, because as Jesus interpreted, as he he explained, everything about Moses, from Moses and all the prophets, he's explaining to these two dear disciples as they're walking along, Jesus is like, look here and look here in Genesis and Deuteronomy, look here in the Psalms. And on the back two tables, the back two black tables, there's going to be a sheet, and I've got it up here on the screen for you. There's something that I want you guys to see right here. Here's the Old Testament. Here's how the Old Testament points to Jesus. See, in Genesis, Jesus is the seed of the woman. He's our Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he's our high priest. In the book of Numbers, he's the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. In Deuteronomy, he's the prophet like unto Moses. In Joshua, he's the captain of our salvation. And in Judges, he's our judge and he's our lawgiver. And then we continue, see in Ruth, he's our kinsman redeemer. And in Samuel, he's our trusted prophet. In the Kings and the Chronicles, he's our reigning king. And Ezra, he's our faithful scribe. And Nehemiah, he's the rebuilder of what is broken down. And Esther, he's our Mordecai. You see, in Job, he's the day spring from on high. And in the Psalms, he's our great shepherd. In the Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, he's our wisdom. In Song of Solomon, he's the lover of our soul. In Isaiah, he's our prince of peace. And then in Jeremiah, he's the righteous branch. In Lamentations, he's the weeping prophet. And in Ezekiel, he's the wonderful four-faced man. It's a vision that Ezekiel had. And Daniel, he's the fourth man in the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You see, all of Scripture, it took 1,600 years to write the entire Bible in three different continents, over 40 authors, and they all point to one person, Jesus. And we continue right here. You see, in in Hosea, he's the faithful husband married to a backsliding bride. How many times do we backslide? Every day, a hundred times, I do. And yet Jesus gets on his knees. He says, come back to me. And Joel, he's the restore of what the locusts have eaten. And Amos, he's our burden bearer. And Obadiah, he's mighty to save. And Jonah, he's our resurrection hope. Every Old Testament book points us to Jesus. And Micah, he's the babe born in Bethlehem. And Naomi, he's the avenger of the Lord's elect. And Habakkuk, and Habakkuk, Habakkuk, he's God's evangelist. Sorry, my Spanish is getting in the way. And Zephaniah, he's the fountain open for us for uncleanliness. And Malachi, the last Old Testament book, he's the son of righteousness rising with healing in his wings because he's the one who heals. You see, as we continue, because there's so many names of Jesus. And go to the next one, Chris, please. G- oh, is that it? Backside? Okay. That's good. You guys will see it. There's pages on the two black tables. Take one with you, front and back. 
That is our Jesus. That is who he is. In every Old Testament book, they point to Jesus. Every New Testament book, except for Revelation, looks back to Jesus. And as Jesus unpacks this passage to them, as he explains to them everything that's going on, everything that Scripture talked about who he was, and I'll let you guys, you guys can read the rest of the chapter for homework. And Daniel, he read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22 to 24, talking about how Jews demand a sign and Greeks, they demand wisdom. But Christ, Jesus, he's the power of God and he's the wisdom of God because he's mighty to save and he's mighty to heal. By the time they got to Emmaus, they urged Jesus. They pleaded with Jesus, please stay with us. Stay with us. It's night. Stay with us tonight because see, in their hearts, their hearts were burning with fire because this man who they still had not recognized was opening up scriptures to them in unbelievable, powerful ways. And it says later on here in this chapter that after they realized it was Jesus, Jesus disappears from them. And then they run, they return to Jerusalem that same night. And if you look here in Luke chapter 24, verse 32, After they recognized Jesus, look at what they say to one another. They said to each other, weren't our hearts burning within us while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? Weren't our hearts burning within us? You see, that's a reflection on Jeremiah 23. In Jeremiah 23, verse 29, as Jeremiah is prophesying, Jeremiah says this, is not my word like fire? God's word is like fire and it should consume us. It should burn inside of us. The Lord's declaration, he says, it's like a hammer that pulverizes rock. You see, God's word, it's living and it's active and it's a fire and it should burn away the sin and dross in our lives. It's also like a hammer that should pulverize any hard-hearted person. Heaven and earth will pass away, but God's word will last for eternity. You see, the written word points us to the living word. God's word, it's living, it's active, it's sharper than any double-edged sword. And we read his written word to encounter the living word. I can't wait for Christmas Eve. I can't wait for Christmas Day. I'm going to gain 10 pounds this year. I know I will. I love to eat. I exercise so I can eat more. But the hunger and thirst we should have for really good food, we should hunger and thirst for God's written word. And if we just think, oh, the Bible, and I think that way sometimes, the Bible really. In our culture, our day and age, and I harp on this a lot, we're so consumed with quick, what's quick now, immediate. And our endorphins are so getting triggered so much by social media and by smartphones that we have literally become dull and senseless to the only thing that's worth consuming, which is true fire. And we need to repent of that. Look on your smartphones how much time you spend on it every day. You'll be shocked. 
His word points us to the only true hero of the universe who deserves our trust, our praise, our allegiance, and our obedience. You see, as a four-year-old, one of my heroes was Roy Rogers. I talk like Roy Rogers. I dress like Roy Rogers. I live like Roy Rogers. He was my hero until Star Wars showed up. Then it became Luke Skywalker. We are all longing for a hero. And Jesus is that hero. Jesus is worthy to be our hero. Jesus is capable to be our hero. And Jesus is faithful to be our hero. I want to invite the worship team to come up, and I want to invite everybody to please stand. And I've got a couple questions for all of us just to ponder, and they will not be on the screen. But my first question is this, and during this last song, I really want us to do some spiritual inventory. Are we those two disciples on the road to Emmaus where we're saying, I had hoped. Have you made Jesus into your own image of what you think the Messiah and Savior should be like? My first question is this. What are the people, things, and beliefs that you're putting your trust in other than Jesus? What are the people, things, and beliefs that you're putting your trust in other than Jesus? My second question is this. Is there anything in your life that is keeping you from making Jesus your hero? My third question is, how can you look more to the scriptures, allowing the scriptures to burn in your hearts the way they burned in the hearts of these two disciples as they communed and walked with Jesus? There's a quote by a dear saint who's in heaven. Her name is Corrie Ten Boom. She's from the Netherlands, from Holland. As a young adult, her family hid Jews during Nazi occupation of Holland. They were eventually found out They were put in prison camps. Her sister died. After World War II, Corrie Ten Boom was released. And for decades, as a believer, she preached and proclaimed Jesus and reconciliation and forgiveness were one of the greatest messages that she ever taught. And this is what she says, and this will be on the screen. If you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. But if you look at Christ, you'll be at rest. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for this amazing day. And Jesus, you are our hero. We long for meaning. We long for control. We long for relationships. And we long for a hero. Father, forgive us for making you into our image. Forgive us for being foolish hard-hearted and slow to believe. And may we lay everything at your feet, Jesus, and surrender to you as hero of our lives. We long for you. We desire you. We need you. Give us a hunger and thirst for you and you only, Jesus. We pray these things in your name. If you need prayer, some members of our prayer team will be over here at the Next Steps area. We would love to pray with you, for you. 
Let us continue to worship Jesus.